Good morning, everybody. I hope you have uh, had a good night's uh, rest and uh, the mind is refreshed and uh, thus uh, ready to absorb our meditation instructions. Now, uh, I'll give comprehensive instructions on mindfulness during formal sitting meditation, during formal walking meditation, and also during the general activities. Now, when it comes to the sitting meditation, various postures have been spoken about, have been mentioned in the text itself. The Buddha recommends sitting in the full lotus posture, but no, this is not necessarily for everybody. And so if we find, if we can sit in full lotus, well, this is great. If not, it's not a problem. So you could certainly sit in you know, the half lotus posture or uh, else in the Burmese posture or you know, any other posture that certainly you manage to maintain comfortably over a longer you know, period of time. Now, the Burmese posture is very simple. You place one foot in front of the other without the legs interlocking. And then what you could do is for the next sitting, you just change the position and place the other leg in front and one leg goes inside. Now, uh, for those of you who have uh, difficulties uh, sitting in the uh, Burmese uh, posture, then you might uh, also consider uh, sitting on a uh, cushion or two. Uh, sitting on a cushion will help uh, to ease the muscular tension in the thighs. Later on, uh, when the body, especially the leg muscles, stretch a bit, then you could consider taking away one cushion. Otherwise, sitting on a bench is okay, or else if you have some back problem, you could consider sitting on a chair, but in doing so, please make sure that certainly you do not lean against the backrest. If you sit certainly leaning against the backrest, this means certainly less physical effort is required, which then oftentimes leads to a mind that is less alert and less paying attention to what is certainly going on. Now, When we you know, sit, we try to you know, sit as upright as possible. An upright posture very much helps uh, you know, our meditation practice in various ways. For one thing, it will ensure that you know, the mind remains relatively alert. It also you know, ensures uh, that our breathing will not be obstructed, uh, the blood circulation will not be obstructed, as well as the uh, urinary system will uh, not uh, be obstructed. Now, in terms of uh, you know, the position of your hands, you can place uh, your hands on the knees, you can place them between you know, the knees, you can place them in you know, the lap, any you know, way is fine.
Now, in the Pasana meditation, in insight meditation, usually when we do formal you know, sitting meditation, we keep the eyes closed. In some other you know, traditions, that's not necessarily you know, the instruction. However, should certainly we experience a strong sloth and torpor again and again, then opening one's eyes, keeping them open for a little bit, for a minute or two or three, would be quite all right. And then hopefully this will help to dispel the sleepiness. Now, Mm, yeah, so the eyes, we keep the eyes closed for the most uh, part, sitting posture as upright as possible, and Satna uh, then mm, we allow our breathing to unfold naturally. This means if on occasion our you know, breathing happens uh, to be a bit faster, a bit uh, more forceful, yeah, then we're simply mindful of that. We label it, we observe it, we try to know its nature. If later on in a sitting, you know, the breathing naturally you know, slows down and becomes uh, more shallow, yeah, then we observe it just uh, you know, the way it is, namely as being rather you know, shallow and uh, slow. So the point here is not certain to deliberately interfere with one's breathing. Just observe the, just to let the breathing unfold naturally, and certainly then to observe what is certainly happening. Now, during this forthcoming one-month retreat, we will follow. You know, the instructions as uh, given by the late Venerable Mahasi Sado of uh, Burma, a renowned uh, meditation master as well as uh, a scholar of Buddhist uh, texts. And uh, in the Mahasi tradition of uh, the Pasana meditation, the primary object of observation is certainly the rising and falling movement of the abdomen. Now, that's certainly to, not to say that certainly we don't observe other objects if they are predominant. However, we start you know, with an observation of the rising and falling movement of the abdomen. So when the you know, rise, when the abdomen expands and the you know, right, and we breathe in and uh, the, the rising of the abdomen takes place, then we take this as an object of observation. We label it accordingly as a rise or rising. And suddenly then we try to observe the rising process as it is unfolding from start to finish. And not only that we try to observe it, but also to know the nature of the rising movement of the abdomen. Now, what is meant by knowing the nature of the rising movement? It means simply knowing the qualities, the different characteristics, the features, the salient features of your rising movement. So, 
To be even more specific, this certainly means if, uh, let's say, some tension is there, to know the tension in the rising movement. Or if we you know, notice that the abdomen is clearly expanding, the expansion is getting more and more pronounced, then to you know, simply you know, observe and know this particular aspect. Now, when we breathe out, our the abdomen will deflate, and suddenly we then take the fawning movement of the abdomen as an object of observation. We label it accordingly as fawn or fawning, and then we try to observe that fawning movement of the abdomen from its very beginning through its middle until its very end. Again, the knowing part is important, and knowing the nature of the falling movement then it means to know the various qualities, features, characteristics of the fawning movement. And those features or characteristics, qualities of the fawning movement are not necessarily the same as in the case of the rising movement. So do try to observe in a a very careful manner and do try to differentiate between what is actually happening during the rising movement and what is happening during the fawning movement of the abdomen. Now, it certainly could certainly well be that certainly during the falling movement, first uh, there is, uh, let's say, a release of uh, tension or maybe a release of uh, stiffness, tightness, and certainly a certain sense of relaxation might go along with it. And then towards the end of the falling movement, you might notice a certain contraction. Knowing these different aspects, these different sensations, is nothing other than knowing the nature of the fawning movement. So in the end, it's quite simple. Now, when the next rising movement takes place, again, we direct our attention to it. We then, uh, as it is naturally occurring, we label it, we observe it, and we try to know its nature. One, and the same thing then goes for the fawning, fawning movement. Now, one clarification is needed at this very point, namely, that it is not necessary to observe the entire breathing process, which means as certainly we are, or while we're inhaling, to observe the air going in, flowing in through the nostrils, through the windpipe, into the lungs, and then finally the rising movement of the abdomen takes place. If we were to do this, the object of observation would be rather extended and therefore a bit certain difficult to observe. And therefore, the Venerable Mahasi Sando has recommended to limit one's observation just to the rising movement of the abdomen and the falling movement of the abdomen. And wherever this is taking place, so it could be that the most predominant sensations take place in the center of the abdomen, but could also be that the most predominant sensations occur more on the right side of the abdomen or more on the left side, more 
and the lower part of the abdomen, or it may be towards the solar plexus, or sometimes uh, even, you know, sometimes the rising phonic might even move uh, to some extent into the chest. So then just observe it wherever it is happening, wherever you know, the most predominant sensations occur that are directly related you know, to your rising movement and fawning movement of uh, the abdomen. Now, as we are observing the rising and falling movement of the abdomen, it could very well happen that our mind wanders off. And the thinking you know, then becomes quite predominant, and thus we take the thinking as the next object of observation. So we then label it as certain thinking, or if it's planning, then as planning, if we remember something, then as remembering, and so on, then we carefully observe you know, the thinking as it is happening, and you know, we try to know its nature. Now, sometimes certain you know, retreatants ask, what means knowing the nature of thinking? Well, first of all, to know what kind of thinking it is, you could certainly you know, then further pay attention to you know, the intensity of the thinking, whether it's just you know, rather you know, background, whether it's background thinking, you know, less intense or you know, more intense certain you know, thinking, whether you know, you're experiencing obsessive thoughts or maybe the mind just flowing along, getting lost in a train of thoughts and so on and so forth. Now, with regard to the thinking, make sure that you do not get caught up in the content of your thoughts, even though you know, the content of a thought might be really you know, attractive, really fascinating. You know, some new um, idea comes up, maybe what to do you know, after the retreat and certain and so on. And yet, you know, from a Vipassana point of view, this is just another object of observation. It's just a thought and certain so simply observe it and know it accordingly, without getting involved in it, without getting hooked to its content. So if you're lucky with labeling observation and knowing the nature of the thinking, the thinking might subside, in which case your attention then goes back to the observation of the rising and falling movement of the abdomen. If, however, the thinking continues, then label it some more, observe it some more, and certainly keep knowing its nature. And eventually, if it keeps going on for quite some time, then simply just let go of it, cut it off if you'd like to, and certainly then focus your attention back onto the rising and falling movement of your abdomen. And then as certainly usual, you observe your rising movement of the abdomen, falling movement of the abdomen. By now, it might present in a different way, different from earlier on. So pay attention to you know, those certain changes over time. And then 
uh, it could certainly well be that after having sat for 10-15 minutes, the first pain arises in the body. So just as an example, pain in a knee. Now, since the pain is quite certain intense, it's really calling your attention, then let go of the observation of the rising and falling movement of the abdomen and then focus your attention on the pain. So the pain in your knee becomes the next object of observation. Now, the pain is occurring of its own accord. You then focus your attention on it. You label it accordingly as pain. And suddenly then you try to observe it as best as you can in a non-patient, non-reactive manner. And you try to know its nature. Now, when it comes to you know, the observation of pains and other predominant bodily sensations, there are some very basic uh, observational categories that are useful to know. The first one of you know, those categories is what kind, what type of pain or predominant sensation is it? So in the case of pains, there's not just one single pain around that we experience. There's a whole variety of pains around, such as, let's say, a throbbing pain, or the pain could be burning, or it could be a drilling pain, or it could be a piercing pain, or it could be a tearing pain, or maybe a numbness, pain, stiffness, hardness, and suddenness, so on, and suddenness, so forth. So try to figure out what kind of pain it is that you're currently experiencing. Now, apart from this, you might also want to pay attention to its intensity. So what about the intensity of the pain? Do any changes occur in the course of fertile time? Could it be that the pain at first is somewhat mild and then over time it gets more and more intense? If so, then just observe this and know this. But it could also be that a pain first intensifies to some extent and later on then de-intensifies or weakens. Whatever it certainly might be, pay attention to this particular aspect of the intensity of pain or other bodily sensation. Then, a third very fundamental observational category would be the time factor, the duration. How long is your pain lasting? Is it a pain that is lasting for the entire sitting? Or is it a pain that is lasting just a couple of minutes, or maybe even less, just a few seconds, or maybe just a moment or two? And certainly pay attention to this particular aspect. Now, yet a fundamental aspect, observational aspect, would be to pay attention to the location of the object. So where is your pain happening? 
Is it happening in your right knee or is it happening in your left knee? Is uh, your pain arising in one spot in the right knee? And suddenly then as you're observing it, is it moving around? Maybe in a straight line or in a zigzag manner or is it gradually spreading out over a larger area? Or is it just staying in one spot? Whatever it might be, simply pay attention to it and know what is happening. Now, important when we work with pains is the attitude with which we do this. Now, we could see the, uh, the arising of a pain as a great disaster. But we could also see the arising of a pain as a wonderful opportunity to learn something about this sudden object of observation. And it's the second attitude that works much, much better. So when you observe a pain, you will need a fair amount of patience as well as sudden determination. And try not to give in to a pain right away. Try not to change your posture right away. As long as the pain is bearable, stay with it. Change your posture only when a pain becomes unbearable, excruciating. Obviously, here in mindfulness meditation, we do not encourage anyone to sit through an extreme excruciating pain and thereby then even ruining one's knee or some other part of the body. That's not intended at all. Now, when we observe a pain, we want to do this with patience, with determination, seeing a pain as a wonderful opportunity to learn something about its nature. And we also want to do this with a non-reactive mind. So not immediately getting upset about the pain or disliking the pain. And this Satna too will help a great deal. Now, these are just a few aspects. More could be said and will be said in the course of this Satna meditation retreat. Now, once the pain has subsided, our attention will go back to the observation of the rising and falling movement of the abdomen. And then, as the rising movement occurs, we label it, we observe it, we try to know its nature. And the same thing goes for the falling movement of the abdomen. The same thing then goes also for any predominant sense door impression. So, if, for instance, we sit with eyes closed, and suddenly we then and then and an internal image come arises in the mind. So, internal the internal seeing process takes place. Then we take this as an object of observation. We label it accordingly. We observe it, and we try to know its nature without getting caught up in the content of the image. Even though an image at times might be quite fascinating or sometimes even dreadful, nonetheless, it's just an object of observation and 
satna, we just label it, observe it. No, it's satna nature. We make sure that we don't get satna hooked, satna to it. Now, it could also be that satna, the a hearing process takes place. So while we're sitting mindfully, peacefully sitting here in meditation, we might on occasion hear the f- water in the nearby Newton Creek flowing by. And that then would be another object of observation. We would then label this as hearing and suddenly then observe it in a non-reactive manner, neither liking it or disliking it, and we try to know its sudden nature. Now, once suddenly the hearing process ends and some other object suddenly comes up, then our attention goes to the next object. So it could suddenly be that on occasion a smelling process becomes the most suddenly predominant object of observation. So maybe we there's some fresh air coming into our meditation hall here filled with the scent of the pines and other trees around here and then we take this as an object, we label it, we observe it and we try to know its nature. Once this particular smelling process has passed away, then our attention goes back to the rising and falling movement of the abdomen. Now, the same principle then applies also to the a taste, the tasting process. So the process of knowing some tastes in uh, the mouth. The same thing goes for the great variety of tactile experiences. So experiencing a pain, experiencing the rising movement of the abdomen, the falling movement of the abdomen, or maybe some heat in the body, some cold, some tension, tightness, pulling, softness, smoothness, chilly sensation going through the body, and so on and so forth. The same also would go for any predominant mental process. in the course of a sitting session, it could well be that apart from thinking, on occasion, let's say, some joy arises. Joy over the fact that, you know, that finally we've made it to this retreat, finally you know, we've managed to, you know, to take care of all our worldly affairs, and you know, we've managed to get here, and finally we have this opportunity you know, to be in a silent, in a silent you know, mindfulness you know, retreat for a month. And the joy happens to be quite strong. So then it would be time to take the joy itself as an object of observation. We then label it occurred accordingly as joy. We 
observe it in a non-attached manner, not identifying with it in any way, and as usual, we try to know its nature. And knowing the nature of joy simply means to know how we experience it in the mind, and then there might also be some bodily manifestations to it. But we're right now talking about mental aspects. Now, the joy over time might undergo changes, then you know, we want to observe those changes, we want to know, know those changes, and certainly uh, eventually you know, the joy you know, will disappear, and certainly uh, then we also may want to carefully observe and know this process of uh, you know, the dissolution of the mental object of joy. Now, once the joy has passed away, we direct our focus of attention back to the rising and falling movement of the abdomen. We check in with the rise and fall. We see, we try to observe and know what's happening now. Maybe some changes there. Then we carefully pay attention. We know what is going on. Now. At a later point, it could be that we remember some unpleasant event from you know, the past, a rather nasty experience, and even though we're peacefully sitting here uh, at the Columbine Inn at Taos Ski Valley, yet anger arises over what happened sometime in the past. And since the anger becomes quite strong and becomes a predominant certain object, we start paying attention to it. So we let go of the observation of the rise and fall and direct our attention onto the mental object, mental factor of anger, and then we label it accordingly. We observe it in a non-involved manner, non-reactive manner, and we try to know its nature. Again, how does it manifest? How do we experience this anger? For instance, not only how do we experience it, but also do we know it's arising? How is it arising? Is it is the anger arising all of a sudden, so rather abruptly? Is the anger arising in a rather forceful manner, or is it certain gradually, gently arising? And eventually, how is the anger subsiding? So there's quite a number of different aspects that we could pay attention to with regard to anger or any other predominant mental state or mental factor, be it wholesome in nature or unwholesome or ethically variable. Now, The venerable Saido Panita Bhimsa Fatna Burma, a long-term student of the venerable Mahasi side of Fatna Burma, has coined three particular, or has certainly spoken about three particular aspects that are relevant in observing and knowing predominant objects in the course of our meditation practice and also three aspects, the same three aspects that are important for the interview process. 
those aspects are the occurrence of an object and then the labeling plus the observation of the respective object and as the last one knowing the nature of the object so an object will occur quite naturally there's nothing you have to do uh, in this certain regard but certain your input is certainly required when it comes uh, to the, the labeling part and certainly so try to uh, label the predominant certain object as best as you can and make sure that you adjust the frequency of your labeling. If you label too often, then the labeling itself might get into the way of your observation. If you don't label, or if your labeling is quite sparse or not at all, then it could very well be that the mindset gets overwhelmed by a lot of thinking. Now, Important with regard to you know, the labeling is that we keep in mind we're not here to become experts in choosing you know, the right labels. Labeling is just a crutch, it's just a tool you know, to help us in our you know, mindfulness you know, practice. Now, if you know, at times we can't find you know, the right you know, word, Mm, yeah, then this doesn't matter. Yeah, then just choose yeah, the most certain uh, general term that certainly comes to your mind. So yeah, if, uh, let's say, a drilling sensation occurs and you don't quite certainly know what it is, then simply just label it as pain and that's quite, uh, uh, quite sufficient. Also, you know, use. You know, there's no need to, to you know, use polytechnical you know, terms. Just go for simple, straightforward you know, terms in the English language. Also, if on occasion you miss to label a certain object, never mind. That happens, and then just make sure you know, that you do carefully observe the object and try to know its nature. Now, what else? So you know, there's the occurrence of the object, there's the labeling of it, then you know, there's certainly you know, the you know, the part of the mindfulness part. So in other words, you know, being aware of you know, the object as it occurs from its very beginning through its middle until its very you know, end, and so, you know, then you know, and then there's the knowing part. And the knowing part means knowing you know, the nature, the qualities of an object, as Sutton explained Sutton earlier on. Now, in the course of our you know, mindfulness Sutton practice Sutton here you know, during this retreat, it's not only that mindfulness is important, but even more so the continuity of it. So, our if our you know, mindfulness is a bit discontinuous, so often you know, on and off net nature, intermittent net nature, and then you know, this you know, means that our practice, you know, that we cannot realize you know, the potential uh, in our you know, own meditation practice. So obviously on during on day one and certainly the following days of the retreat, that continuity of mindfulness will not be perfect. That is to be expected. And so 
speed not gentle on yourself certainly just accept that's the way it is there will be gaps in you know, the flow of your mindfulness and when those gaps certainly do occur simply know oh i'm currently missing to be mindful in a continuous manner and then make a gentle effort to pick up that continuity of mindfulness again now what else Certain factors are very important during our mindfulness practice and apart from mindfulness itself and those are the aiming of the mind, aiming the mind towards the center of the respective object of observation as number one, then as number two, effort in the Pani scripture language known as viriya which practically is you know, the mental momentum of sending the observing and knowing mind to the object of observation, or in other words, propelling the mind you know, towards Satna, the object. When both of those, aiming and you know, effort viriya, are present, then the result uh, will be that the mind Satna will be in contact with the predominant object, it will be then rubbing the predominant object of observation. This being in contact with an object, rubbing the object, as the Venerable Pandita explains it, is known as vichara in the Pali scriptural language. Now, these are some of the major aspects to keep in mind or instructions that apply to mindfulness during a formal sitting meditation. Now, the second part that we shall take or that we shall take a look at is the aspect of mindfulness during formal walking meditation. First off, the walking meditation is as important as the sitting meditation. And in particular during the first couple of days of a retreat, please try to spend an equal amount of time in sitting meditation, walking meditation. So let's say you've done one hour of sitting meditation, then make sure that you also do a full hour of walking meditation. This, the balance of posture, so sitting posture and walking posture, is an important aspect that we do need to pay attention to. Now, in the course of Futna the day, what we do is we alternate periods of mindful sitting meditation with periods of mindful walking meditation. Now, in the walking meditation, we choose an upright certain posture. The, the hands could be held either in front of foot, you know, the body or you know, behind you know, the back. But please do make sure that you, know, you uh, restrain, that you don't let your you know, arms swing uh, along you know, the side. So restraint of uh, the senses also applies to the body, restraint of the body, restraint of you know, bodily you know, movements. Now, when 
we you know, do the you know, walking meditation, we want to you know, direct our you know, focus, our eyes at a point that may be three to four you know, meters ahead of us. And you know, in this way, you know, it will be assured that uh, our head will not be mm, uh, leaning forward and uh, carefully uh, looking at uh, what the feet are uh, doing. If one were to practice the walking meditation like this, you know, this would eventually lead to a stiffness of uh, the neck. So that doesn't uh, work uh, too well. Now, when you do the walking meditation, please choose a stretch, a path that is neither too long nor too short. So maybe 10 meters long. The shortest could be anything, could be just two or three meters. If you go really, really slowly, then this might be already quite a long distance. Keep in mind, that the walking meditation, the mindful walking meditation that we do here is not the same thing as casually walking down a street in downtown New York. So, mm, walking or walking down a street uh, in, a, in a big city or anywhere else is usually mm, connected with an intention to reach a certain destination, to get to a certain place. And in this, you know, the you know, emphasis is much more on getting somewhere you know, than on actually being what is happening right now. So you know, during formal mindful you know, walking meditation, the emphasis is on, is on being really in the present moment and you know, being totally with the different sensations, especially in you know, the feet, as you know, the walking meditation is unfolding. And uh, there's no no destination, no particular destination that certain we try to, to reach. So we just do the walking meditation for or with the aim of further deepening our mindfulness and with this then strengthening our concentration and based on you know, those two plus effort and other factors you know, to develop our intuitive wisdom. Now, there are three forms of walking meditation, that are three major forms of walking meditation that the Vendor Masi side of Burma has described and that he's recommending, and that is doing at during the first 20 minutes of a one-hour walking session to be mindful of predominant sensations as they occur in the left leg as the left leg is moving. And then to be mindful of predominant sensations in the right leg as the right leg moves forward. And so, and the speed for this first form of walking meditation is a bit slower than ordinary uh, walking. 
and uh, our focus is uh, to be uh, uh, directed towards the most predominant sensation occurring in the leg, could be anywhere in the leg, could be in the thigh, could be in the knee, could be in the calf or in the foot itself. And when we do this first form of walking meditation, as the left leg moves, we label this as left step. Then we carefully observe what is suddenly going on and we try to know. When the right leg is moving, we label this as a right step. And again, we observe the most predominant sensation that is occurring in the leg, and we try to know its nature. So left step, right step, left step, right step. Then, after 20 minutes of this form of walking meditation, we then slow down the speed of our walking, and... We then focus primarily our attention on the most predominant sensations in the foot itself. And this time, one step gets divided into two parts, namely the lifting process and the lowering and placing. So, as the foot is just about to lift, we label this as lifting. And suddenly then carefully observe the entire lifting process. We try to know the different sensations that occur during the lifting process. So this could be maybe a gradual, at first suddenly some pressure is there, in the, especially in the heel of the foot. And then as suddenly the heel is coming off the ground, the pressure might suddenly subside. The pressure might move elsewhere. There could be hardness along the outer edge of the foot and so on and so forth. And so we try to observe and know you know, those different sensations as they occur also as the foot moves suddenly through you know, the air in a vertical manner. And then, mm, once you know, we've reached you know, the top of the, you know, the, you know, the top of the lifting process, then mm, at the before or while we start to lower and place the foot on the ground, we label this as lowering and then we carefully observe and try to know the nature of this process of lowering and placing the foot on the ground. Again, different sensations will be involved and for you to carefully find out. And in particular, do you know, try to you know, pay attention to the predominant sensations that occur while you know, the foot is touching the ground. So the very first couple of moments of touching the ground, what do you experience at that point? Do you experience hardness or softness, smoothness or roughness, heaviness, lightness, heat or cold, and so on and so forth? Quite a number of different sensations might occur at that certain particular point. Now, After 20 minutes of uh, you know, the second kind of uh, you know, walking meditation, we you know, want to you know, slow down our speed even further. And this time around, for the remaining 20 minutes, 
we then divide one step into three parts. The lifting process, the forward movement, and the lowering and placing of the foot. Now, the lifting process is as before, the lowering and placing is also as before. The only new aspect certainly here is the forward movement. So as your foot begins to glide through the air, briefly label this as certainly gliding or forward movement or moving, and then observe, carefully observe that forward movement and the different sensations that go along with it and know the nature of what is happening. So just to give you a few hints here, what about your balance? Is it easy to keep your balance while you're doing this third form of walking meditation while the foot is gliding through the air or not. And then would you say that your forward movement is a rather continuous movement or maybe a discontinuous, a bit erratic movement, stop and go movement. What happens in terms of sensations? Do you experience, let's say, the cold related due to external cold temperature or maybe the warmth of, warmth of the sun and so on and so forth? So there are plenty of footnote details to be carefully observed and known during the walking meditation. During the second and third walking meditation, please observe one foot at a time. Observe the sensations of one foot at a time, namely the foot which is moving. The foot which certainly you're lifting, the foot which is moving through the air, and certainly the foot which you're lowering and placing, and not certainly the other one which remains static on the ground. Once you've placed the, the first foot on the ground mm, firmly, then and uh, your other foot is just about to come off the ground, then focus your attention on uh, the other uh, foot. So try not to mm, observe uh, both feet at the same time, and uh, also uh, try not to uh, focus your attention on the foot which remains static on the ground as the other foot is uh, moving. Now at first this might be a little bit uh, difficult, but gradually you'll get used to it. Now in Walking meditation, slowing down our activities is important, so slowing down our walking as much should. The more we can slow down our walking meditation in the end, the better, the more details we'll be able to pick up. No, this is not necessarily, this maxim is not necessarily applicable to activities outside of an intensive retreat, but during a mindfulness retreat, this maxim definitely makes a lot of sense. Now, Restraint of uh, the senses in the Pali scriptural language, known as Indriya Samara Sila, very much applies to the formal walking meditation, but also applies to the general activities. So even though we have eyes to see with, yet we try to keep them downcast, yet we try not to look around. 
If, however, while we're doing our walking meditation, some obstacle appears in front of us, or maybe you know, some uh, you know, some objects, uh, you know, visual object comes up to, to you know, the side, and we just can't uh, help uh, noticing it, then you know, we do so uh, you know, with mindfulness. So we then label the you know, the intention first, uh, you know, the seeing process, and then you know, the intention to turn the head, the turning of the head, and then you know, the you know, the intention to actually look actively, look at the object, and certainly then the process of looking uh, itself. And certainly eventually we then continue with our walking meditation. Now, after one or two or three days of Fertne intensive Fertne retreat, you might find that the first form of walking meditation doesn't work for you that much anymore. It's just too fast. And then if naturally you would prefer to slow down, please follow that that, uh, impulse and then drop the first form of Fertne walking meditation. If at a later point you find that even the second form of walking meditation, during which you divide a step into the lifting and certainly the lowering placing, is also a bit too fast, okay, now then drop that and focus mostly on the three-step walking meditation. If on occasion you have to quickly get to a certain place, let's say it's high time for lunch, and you do need to speed up a little bit, okay, then go back to assuming the first form of walking meditation, and then label as left step, right step, and walk slightly faster. Now, a few things certainly need to be, a few instructions need to be given with regards to mindfulness during general activities. By general activities, we mean if any activity that occurs throughout our waking hours apart from the formal sitting meditation, apart from the formal walking meditation, and apart from sleep. Uh, so, general activities start with the process of waking up. So, the very first object that, uh, that occurs when uh, we wake up. Do we wake up uh, with hearing a sound, or do we wake up, uh, let's say, maybe smelling something, or do we wake up uh, with a thought, or with some bodily stiffness, or whatever it uh, might uh, be. So we want to be mindful of this very process of uh, waking up. Then to be followed by the process of sitting up in bed, gradually maneuvering out of bed, and then going to the restroom, and then maybe taking a shower, whatever the routine might be. And then putting on clothes, and so on. Now, part of 
mindfulness during general activities is certainly also the process of opening and closing a door, the process of uh, putting on one's shoes, taking off one's shoes, the process of uh, taking a meal, there are many aspects involved here, the process of drinking a cup of juice or a tea during breakfast and then even during an activity such as bowing down we could be mindful of this. The Venerable Saito Panita of Burma with retreatants who, who were retreatants who, whose practice is coming along nicely, on occasion might certainly encourage them, why don't you start paying attention to the process of opening and certainly closing the eyes in the course of a day. Now, if you start doing this, you will you know, notice quite a number of Fatna details there. First, the intention to open one's eyes, and then followed by the actual process of, or physical process of opening the eyes, the different sensations that go along you know, with this, and then also the process of Fatna closing one's eyes. So, in the course of Fatna retreat, there are, there's basically a great variety or a great range of objects that certain you know, objects, activities that certain would come under you know, general activities and certain you know, that you know, we could consider you know, to be mindful of. And you will find that. As your practice will deepen, you will discover, oh, in this activity I'm not mindful. And then another activity is there. To give you one more common example, it is in the presence of others, we maintain our mindfulness to some extent. But then, as soon as we cross the sill, the door sill of our room, and there's nobody in there, our mindfulness will fall away, for most yogis, not for everyone, though. And so, so there's no one who might be observing what we're doing, and thus we feel, well, now, I can take a short vacation. So that's not the way to go. So do try to keep up your mindfulness as much as you can, even while you're entering into your room, while you're in your room doing various activities there, and also when leaving your room. Now, Last night, uh, Marcia has suddenly briefly mentioned suddenly to avoid eye contact, and suddenly this is a, a very important aspect which comes under restraint of the senses. 
And so, um, even though we have eyes to see, yet uh, we you know, try to restrain them, knowing very well that every time we see some you know, external you know, object, visible object, this will leave a certain impression on the mind and uh, you know, is likely you know, to cause some agitation in the mind. Now, Retreatants of Rutgen practice quite a bit, whose practice has gone quite certain deep, will know this, will fully be aware of this, and they will quite naturally want to restrain the senses and certainly refrain from looking around and certainly even seeking eye contact with others. Now, just uh, no, briefly, a few you know, remarks about the interview you know, process. You know, first of all, you know, please, uh, uh, there will be regular you know, interviews starting you know, tomorrow, and uh, you'll be you know, seeing you know, Marcia and me. One group will be with Marcia one day, and the other group will be with me, and then the following day it will be just uh, the other, you know, the, the groups will you know, switch. As which Shetna teaches. And then the interviews are meant not to give you a hard time, but very much to support you in your meditation practice. And Barcia and I will try to give as much guidance as possible, encourage wherever necessary, explain what is going on. So try to see the interview process as an important and integral part of the meditation practice that in the end will very much help to support your practice and will ensure that certain things will move along. Now, the interview process might start already at the end of during it during it formal sitting practice or formal walking practice. So you pay really close attention to what is going on. You try to know what is going on, and then after the sitting or walking session, you might want to write down your most important experiences, just briefly, just the the main points. And this is meant to help your memory. Now. When uh, your turn comes up for the interview, then before you actually mm, go into it or step into the interview room, know what you're going to report. Make sure you have selected certain, uh, your you know, best uh, walking and uh, best uh, sitting uh, session, and then report accordingly. Now. For the reporting, trying to stick cut into three very basic uh, principles, namely those of accuracy, brevity, and certain uh, precision. So, you know, three aspects that are you know, very much uh, relevant in you know, modern you know, sciences. Now, by reporting on your best uh, sitting and uh, walking meditation, um, is meant 
that you report on you know, the sitting or walking session that best reflects your practice. And if for most part of you know, the day you've had really some some very difficult sits or you know, walking sessions, and this is really the main you know, aspect of your practice, well, then you just report on this, and that's fine. There's no need you know, to you know, try to impress a teacher. What is needed is a realistic description of what uh, is going on in your you know, practice. Now, when you give Fatna your report, try to remember those three aspects mentioned earlier on, the occurrence, the labeling, plus the observation, and knowing the nature of a predominant object. And then use simple language, don't, or there's no need to, and to indulge in very difficult Pali technical terms. And then mindfully, and then you give your report. And then reports, start with a report on your formal sitting meditation. And ideally, please do begin with a close description of your rising falling movement of the abdomen. Since this can be seen as the baseline of your practice and then will very much reveal what is happening in your meditation. And then... You might certainly say, "Okay, the rising movement is the rising movement occurred. I labeled it as rising, and then carefully observed it in a continuous manner and came to know this or that sensation. Then the falling movement of the abdomen occurred. I labeled it accordingly as falling, and certainly carefully observed the entire falling movement from start to finish, and certainly then came to know a different set of." sensations, and then so on and so forth for you know, whatever other predominant objects uh, 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 came up in your practice. Try to give your report in a chronological manner, so you know, describe the highlights of your practice in a chronological manner. If there are certain um, experiences you know, that uh, happened uh, repeatedly, then it's quite enough to you know, mention this just one single time rather you know, than you know, mentioning it again and again. Um, when you give your you know, report, you know, there's no need certainly to you know, be nervous. You just uh, calmly you know, report you know, what is certainly happening. Also, and try not to you know, report from imagination. And certainly, as mentioned, there's no need to impress anyone. There's no need you know, to you know, present you know, one's experiences in a way that not corresponds, do not correspond to uh, reality. Now, interviews, regular interviews, have a tendency to galvanize one's Satna practice, and Satna, thus, you know, they tend to be uh, very helpful. Now, in order to save on time, 
when you come for interviews with me, I will ask Satna, the first Satna, or the, yeah, the first Satna meditator will you know, f- finish off his or her report. I will already, maybe two or three minutes earlier, you know, will ring the bell. And with this, when you hear the bell, please do come into you know, the interview room, which will be you near know, the lobby downstairs. And Satna then you know, sit Satna down and Satna get Satna ready. And then once the first you know, retreat in, has uh, finished uh, you know, the you know, report and uh, you know, the advice has been given, uh, then the second one can immediately you know, start. This is just uh, a way of uh, you know, saving uh, time. Otherwise, mm, you know, the time it takes for one yogi to leave, another yogi to come, uh, you know, this, might just, this might take up already five minutes. Now, with Marcia it might be different, yes? And she will explain to you how. So probably you will ring the bell uh, when uh, you want the next meditator to come in. And that is one after another. So different, uh, different styles here. Now, in terms of some initial difficulties during uh, the first uh, couple of days of intensive practice, do be prepared you know, for mm, some some events of fitness, sloth and torpor already during this uh, session. I see a few nodding heads here and there. This is certainly common and is likely you know, to happen and certainly simply you know, just be mindful as certainly you know, the sloth and torpor is certainly setting in. Now, another you know, very you know, common you know, difficulty you know, is the wandering you know, mind. So even though you have the greatest intention you know, to you know, be mindful and to you know, observe your rise and fall and other predominant objects, your mind will you know, find an you know, occasion to wander off into the future, into the past. And uh, uh, this might be a bit discouraging at times. Nonetheless, you know, just uh, be as patient as possible with yourself, with your mind, and uh, you know, then also determine, you know, take the you know, predominant wandering mind as an object, if necessary, many times, and uh, you know, then label it, observe it, you know, know its nature, and uh, you know, then come back to, your, you know, to the observation of your primary object. Now, during the first few days of an intensive retreat, you know, pains and aches are likely you know, to you know, come up also at later points, obviously not all the time. And certainly, so try to you know, make friends with your you know, pains and aches. They, in the long run, will help your you know, practice. They do help to you know, develop concentration and other uh, qualities, necessary qualities. Now, now sometimes, uh, we you know, find it you know, difficult to adjust to the schedule, having to wake up at 4.30 in the morning, early you know, sitting before you know, breakfast, long you know, day of you know, mindfulness in sitting, walking and general activities, is not you know, that you know, easy. And so, uh, so in the face of you know, these difficulties, sloth and torpor, wandering mind pains and aches, and uh, a rather 
a tight sadness schedule, you might feel or you might end up discouraged. Then take the discouragement itself as an object of observation. This is a mental state, it comes and goes, and it's not going to be around forever. Sooner or later, after having overcome the initial difficulties, some very wholesome and inspiring mental states will come up and uh, you'll be so happy uh, to be here. So t try to see uh, things from a perspective of patience and uh, give yourself uh, some uh, time. Now, there are uh, certain uh, uh, certain aspects that you know, we want to keep in mind. So basically a note of caution. Now when we practice we want to ensure that certain basic aspects are fulfilled. Up here, we're way up at 9,000 feet. We do, it's uh, during the day, it gets pretty hot, and certain, so we do need to drink uh, a fair amount of water. How much? At least two, three liters, uh, Chris? Probably two, three? So at least two, three liters of water, juices, and certain other beverages. And then you might also, especially when you're outside, make sure you have a sunscreen on, sunscreen low motion on, and and a hat or a piece of cloth, whatever seems appropriate. Then. Some retreatants at times, out of uh, not uh, understanding you know, properly, might uh, want to uh, cut way back on their food consumption, or might even mm, want to intensify the practice by combining intensive mindfulness meditation with fasting. And this is what, a good idea or not? It's not necessarily a good idea. and. This uh, mindfulness practice is, uh, um, is quite strenuous. It does require that certainly uh, we have plenty of bodily uh, energy or strength and uh, also mental strength. And it is a regular intake of uh, regular and moderate intake of food uh, that will ensure that we have the physical strength as well as uh, the mental strength. So please do make sure that you eat a fair moderate amount of food. Now, Eating food is certainly good, but uh, if we end up getting constipated, and we're constipated for three or four days, again, uh, this might then turn into a difficulty. Now, being on retreat and being constipated is certainly not a very pleasant experience. The mind certainly gets certainly easily uh, irritated. We 
don't certainly feel and certainly ease. And so please do treat certain constipation as quickly as you can. If you have some natural laxatives, use those or that else. Certain bodily exercises are there, drinking a certain amount of water, then doing a few exercises to induce certain bowel movements. If you need any advice, certainly please come and ask. Now, another you know, basic aspect that we want to ensure you know, throughout the entire you know, retreat is that we do get enough sleep at, you know, during the night. In the course of you know, the retreat, our you know, sleep patterns or the need for sleep that might or will fluctuate sometimes lessening sometimes increasing for sure it is not recommended to deliberately deprive oneself of sleep or to willfully practice through the whole night especially if one's practice is not up to the point so if you want to be on the safe side then bring up this issue during an interview with Marcia or me and then we might say okay this certainly might be a proper or now your practice is in at a very particular place and indeed if you have lots of energy and you want to practice through some of the some parts of the night that's fine at other times we might say this is not such a great idea please do keep in mind meditation practice and this is just from in a very general stated in a general way um, that mindfulness practice is not about forcing the practice, but you know, rather um, going, letting the, you know, one's meditation unfold you know, naturally and just being a witness and a neutral observer of what is happening without trying to manipulate one's experiences without trying to make certain things happen. Now, on occasion, you know, there are um, meditators on retreat, tough guys who you know, then think they need to push through excruciating levels of pain. Now, should a pain become excruciating, please feel free to change your sitting posture, do this mindfully and slowly, and then continue with your practice. But, as mentioned earlier on, if a pain is still somewhat bearable, then do be mindful of it and don't change your posture right away. Now, wrong assumptions can bring about a lot of unnecessary suffering and one such wrong assumption that on occasion meditators have is that during inside certain meditation thoughts should not arise in the mind at all. So your mind certainly should be totally thought free. This is impossible. This would be a goal for samatha meditation, meditation of calm, yes, but not necessarily for vipassana. 
So the the approach in that mindfulness satna meditation is when a thought, a predominant thought, or you know, a train of thoughts you know, arises, then just take the thinking itself as an object of observation. And so, you know, as explained early on, you want to label it, you want to observe it, you know, without getting you know, you know, hooked or you know, um, carried away by the content of your thoughts, and you, know, you want to know what is certainly going on. Now, we don't really have any new retreatants here on uh, retreat. Mm, in terms of uh, mm, sitting for uh, the full hour, we do request that you uh, sit for uh, the, uh, or that you follow uh, the schedule and sit for uh, the full hour. If, however, you cannot sit for the full 60 minutes and you would like to change your posture before the 60 minutes are up, okay, please do so, but do so slowly and mindfully, maybe briefly stretch a leg or two and then continue with your sitting. Now, growing up in a a very competitive fitness society then means that this certain kind of mental that we bring this kind of mental conditioning with us on retreat and we might certainly then mentally be competing with some of our fellow retreatants which is pretty is pretty useless and certainly silly even we don't even we don't certainly talk to our fellow retreatants we don't actually know what is happening for them and certainly just by the way they're sitting or doing the walking meditation the mind is coming to some not really founded certain conclusions so should you find that your mind engages in competitive you know, thinking or behavior, please take this itself as an object and label it, observe it, know it, and let go of it as quickly as you can. Another aspect that unnecessarily you know, places pressure on you know, your you know, mind is you know, to have high expectations. High expectations in terms of you know, the results of your you know, practice and in terms of gaining you know, the Dhamma and so on and so forth. An expectation is just another object of observation, so label it, observe it, and know its nature, and let go of it. The attitude that works best for intensive practice is simply to give one's best and to practice with a mind that is calm, relaxed, also detached and alert, and then simply to accept what comes along in terms of results. And you then you know, just tell yourself, okay, I've given my best, and I'll just be happy uh, with uh, uh, the unfolding of my practice. Now, some retreatants on occasion, you know, when experiencing anger or you know, when experiencing, you know, let's say, you know, deep you know, sorrow, 
then simply try to exercise complete control over the mind and try to make these states uh, go away or not happen uh, in the first place. But owing to certain conditions, the anger might come up, the deep sorrow might certainly come up nonetheless. And in a case like this, don't try to exercise some complete control over your mind, but rather be mindful of the uh, anger, be mindful of uh, that certain deep sorrow or whatever else it certainly might be. So, any predominant certain object, any predominant mental state or mental factor is, in, uh, is an object of observation. Now, some retreatants push the mind far too hard beyond its limits into states of extreme fear, worry, self-judgment, guilt, and the like. This is not the way to go. But rather, please keep your practice balanced. Should you be experiencing extreme levels of fear, depression, anxiety, elation, hyperactivity, and certain of the like, then please inform your teacher without certain delay, and then we'll together we'll discuss what's going on and try to find a solution to the situation. So, as Satna indicated, the attitude with which we practice makes a huge difference. Overall, try to observe your predominant objects in the sitting, in the walking, during your general activities with an ad, with a calm and detached, so in other words, balanced state of mind, with a mind that is relaxed and yet alert. So relax, not in the sense of becoming rather casual and slackening off in our practice, but with assuring that the mind remains alert. Now, in the course of our Vipassana practice, a great number of experiences will come up Many of our life issues, so things that are important to our life, are likely to come up. And whatever it might be, is to always remember to be mindful of what is happening. So just keep holding on to mindfulness as your most precious tool during this retreat. Now, in the course of an intensive mindfulness meditation retreat, sometimes we'll come across some pleasant experiences, sometimes some unpleasant experiences, sometimes we come across pain, sometimes aches, and then desirable objects, undesirable objects, whatever it might be, simply our task is to simply be mindful of whatever uh, is coming up, without judging an experience, without preferring this or that experience. Now, 
this then pretty much brings us certainly to near the end of this morning's session on comprehensive instructions on mindfulness during during formal sitting meditation, formal walking meditation, and during general activities. These instructions are pretty detailed. Please try to. Uh, apply them in uh, your uh, practice in the course of uh, this uh, retreat. You will not uh, regret uh, uh, this. And uh, then, um, during uh, this retreat, apply yourselves wholeheartedly uh, to your uh, meditation. And uh, then, uh, may, as mentioned already last time, may this retreat be of a fruitful retreat for all of us and may we gain insight into the workings of this body and especially of this mind and may those insights help us to let go of whatever garbage there is, whatever useless patterns there are and then may we eventually again liberating wisdom. And this is it for now. Now, we have at least one question. Yes, Jim, please, let's hear. I have a question about the, the, uh, the description of the end of each uh, observation of a mind object with plus an object. You always refer to it as knowing. We end with uh, the knowing of the object. I'd like you to speak a little bit more about exactly what you mean by the knowing of that object. Knowing of the dissolution of the object. <coughs> you stay with it until it dissolves, but what if it does not dissolve? Well, if it does not dissolve, but now then, and so no, it doesn't. It does not dissolve, and it's not changing a lot. Then, simply temporarily, you let go of it, and you come back to the observation of your rise and fall. And suddenly, then you observe the rise and fall and other predominant objects that might come up in the meantime. And then, on occasion, you could check in again with that particular object that you observed earlier on. And then see what it's doing. The knowing is. I was wondering whether you were asking us to note or observe one or more of the universal characteristics in the object. Well, no, no, slowly, slowly, we don't start with the universal characteristics right away, but first. Uh, with uh, very uh, uh, simple um, aspects, qualities that uh, that particular uh, mental object might have. So, uh, if it's uh, if restlessness is uh, the mental state at hand, uh, then you might uh, want to pay close attention to that agitated uh, state of mind, uh, the movement in the mind, and uh, the inability to stay with one object, and so on and so forth, and the intensity of uh, the particular mental state and uh, whether this restlessness is you know, really a continuous state or you know, maybe restlessness is there for a while, the mind uh, calms down, you know, then the restlessness <coughs> is back, and so on and so forth. 
and eventually, and eventually clearly seeing how gradually this mental state of restlessness then dissolves and suddenly is gone for a while. And then he comes back later on. Yes, does this answer your question? Well, it, it, you, I still think you're talking about observing, not, not knowing. Uh, no, no, that's uh, not, not knowing. It's, uh, not knowing the quality, uh, the quality of uh, that particular object. I don't know, the way it manifests. Yes, Puri? That's fine. Sure. If you want to, if you're overwhelmed by rather, rather persistent sleepiness and other approaches don't work, then do feel free to get up and do standing meditation on your cushion or next to it. And then while you're doing standing meditation with eyes closed, focus your attention on the most predominant sensations in your feet and know what's going on there. And if you're lucky, with standing meditation, your sleepiness will will pass away. And then once it's gone, it back down, and in, as we all, or as many of you will know, in, in standing meditation with eyes closed, there's always the danger of losing one's balance and falling over, and this will then keep your, will energize your mind. <laughs> I don't know. But in some cases, if someone is overwhelmed by really serious, serious certain sloth and torpor, even the standing meditation might not certainly help, and the person might actually you know, fall over or be close to that. Okay. Any other questions or clarifications? Yes. Yes. You mean they come up both at the same time, or? Yes. Oh. And um, like, you know, there's a time when I can sustain, like, you know, keep uh, attention with both. But um, it's almost like a struggle, both going. Yes. Yeah, thank you very much for bringing up this certain point. Mm, there's uh, one aspect that uh, I uh, missed uh, mentioning, namely to, for the most part, observe one object at a time. So if you have two objects more or less you know, occurring simultaneously, you know, then mm, among the two, choose the one you know, which is more predominant or more intense. And you choose. No, it's your you know, choice. It could be this, it could be the emotion, it could be you know, the pain. And you know, then you know, stick with that object for a while. What you could do over a longer period of time, you know, though, is let's say first you choose to observe you know, the emotion. Okay, so you, know, you're, you label it, you observe the emotion, you try to know its nature, and you do this again and again. And you know, then, and your pain is still you know, there. You know, then, on occasion, you direct your attention to the pain. You label it, you observe it, you try to know its nature. And so, you know, then you, you, know, you try to figure out what, uh, what is happening with the pain. And so, if then it doesn't change much, you could go back to your emotion. 
No, so for for the most part, there's one exception. Mm. For the most part, try to observe one object at a time and not two or three or four uh, objects at the same time. You're welcome. Okay, any other questions? No? If not, Satna, then maybe this much Shatna for it now. Uh, in the course of your retreat, certain uh, questions surely will come up and uh, specifically related to you know, the practice and you know, then raise those questions during you know, the interviews with Marcia and me or you know, else on occasion we might also have uh, a question and answer session after a Dhamma talk and you know, then you could uh, uh, ask your question at that point. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.